0: Welcome to Creative On Purpose Live, a show about defining, developing, and delivering the difference only you can make in the second half of life so you can live your legacy. I'm Scott Perry, Encore Life Coach and author of The Art of Encore Living and Chief Difference Maker at Creative On Purpose. It's time to play your game. Visit creativeonpurpose.com to get started now. Let's meet today's guest, Dan Nicholson. So grateful to have you on the broadcast. Welcome. And please tell our viewers uh, who you are, what you're up to these days, and where can they go to learn more about you and the difference you're making?
1: I am a recovering perfectionist trying to unlearn a bunch of things that I thought I knew about life (laughs) so that I can get closer to the things that I actually want. So that's who I am. What I've been up to is... Really building a platform around what I call certainty, which is how do you get what you want on your terms without compromise and uh, enrolling other purpose-driven entrepreneurs in this methodology I created to do that, to get what you want on your terms without compromise. And so I deliver that in a bunch of different ways uh, through a book I just uh, recently uh, wrote called Rigging the Game, which uh, you can just go to riggingamazon.com. It'll take you right there. And uh, through Certainty U, which is a business where we deliver uh, a, essentially a year-long certification program to help people unlearn what they thought it would, would take uh, to live the life that they want. And then uh, a bunch of other finance-related, <laughs> CPA-related ventures and all that kind of stuff. Uh, people can get the book at Rigging Amazon. They can learn more. i got a bunch of free stuff at CertaintyTools.com yeah that, that's that's me in a nutshell fantastic well i
0: i just to, sh- to share a little bit i connected with dan um through a, a mutual friend laurel portier who introduced me to the success finder um, platform where i was consuming content by uh, dan's office mate nick peterson but also met or got got engaged with Dan there just at the time rigging the game was starting to be promoted so i followed your journey um and uh it was a masterful <laughs> approach to launching a book i wish i had followed your 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 example and launched my book um and it's it is probably the book i recommend and gift most often right now to, mm-hmm. to my clients and um and and members of my community it is a really really powerful approach to doing just what the cover says, rigging the game, rigging your game so that you can get closer to what you want. And one of the things that I'd, I'd love to start with is just, you know, you, you, you say you're a recovering perfectionist and um, given your background as a, um, in the finance world, I'm sure that that comes with the territory, but I'd, I'd love to hear a little bit of the, of the origin story of how does this person that trained to be uh, you know, uh, uh, a mover and shaker in the finance world, move into something that sounds a little bit more like the personal development uh, space and and helping people unlock their potential and play their game.
1: So growing up, I was always this, this uh, painfully, painfully shy kid. But at the same point, I was pretty enterprising. And so I always had business ideas. But At the same point, like I said, shy, had a speech problem, had terrible teeth, you know, the things that compounded the the shyness. Uh, And so I had to grow out of a lot of that to really start to get clarity on what I actually wanted. Went off to college thinking I was going to be a marketing major and uh, life had other designs for me, things that I couldn't have foreseen, opportunities that came up just really out of being in the right position at the right time, leaving options open. This is one of the things that I didn't have the language for 24 years ago, but now I come to understand how it kind of manifested. So went into college, thought I was going to be like I said, a marketing major, Uh, first person in my family to go to college was living at home, commuting, um, I think that made sense for me at the time. I look back on it, I wish I would have had more of the traditional college experience, but that's what worked for me and my family. And so I got this email from the business school guidance counselor saying, hey, UPS, the you know, big shipping company, and Parts Service, they have some uh, scholarship money and they have... Um, some openings in like their marketing department for kind of internship or entry level positions, so come to this career fair on Saturday at 9 a.m. So I go, I show up, I'm in a suit. I just took this business communications class. I've got all these resumes and cover letters, and I walk in and uh, I'm way overdressed, way overdressed. A lot of jorts. This is like almost summertime. It's like. You know, tank tops, jorts, whatever, and uh, I'm sitting there with my my <laughs> resumes, and uh, they proceed to show this video about all the jobs that you could have inside a, the hub, um, unloader, sorter, et cetera, et cetera. And I, I look, I come from a blue collar family that is not below me by any means, by uh, and I have you know, had blue collar jobs up to that point. So I listen to it. And then I kind of like respectfully, Hey, that's cool. I have this like print off here that says like marketing jobs and scholarship money. Like, where do I learn about that? Like, I don't, yeah, I don't know you're talking about marketing jobs, but there's two guys from the finance department outside at a table. You can, why don't you go to, you know, go talk to them. I go out there, same thing, like, Hey, here's my prints offs, so on and so forth. And, um, uh, After about almost an hour conversation, like, hey, we have this uh, revenue recovery manager job where you'd manage 20 to 25 auditors. It's still within a hub, but you're going to manage them auditing shippers for compliance. Like, are they billing itself correctly? I'm 19. Like I said, just finished my first year of college. Somehow I get this job. Uh, I got got, 25 people reporting to me. Uh, my manager's in a totally different, they're not even there. They're in a totally different building 30 minutes away. I'm doing all the hiring, firing, and uh, reporting to the regional controller. That was the domino that led me to change the finance, led me to change to ultimately an accounting degree, get an IS information systems degree. And it sort of uh, snowballed and opened all these doors uh, that took me away from entrepreneurship, and uh, took me about a decade to to uh, reorient. Not in a bad way, but it took about a decade for me to kind of figure out how to leverage all the skills that I'd accumulated.
0: Yeah, well, that's it's it's fascinating to hear how people's destiny kind of unfolds and how they. Become agents of their destiny, but also how easy it is to get um, to get off the path that that maybe was was right there all all along or intended for us. Um, one of the things that um, you know, one of the things I hear in that story is, you, you know, you and I share this language around playing your game. And I, we can mm-hmm. come to it from different places, but I hear in your kind of standing up for yourself at this meeting at UPS and, and you know, that you were you were clear about what you were, who you were and what you were there for um, mm-hmm. and, and playing your game in, in that story. And one of the things that really fascinates me about your work at Certainty U and, and with Certainty Tools is I have a, the way I think, I have thought about certainty um, up till colliding with your work is, um, you know, I, I look around at the world and I see people being rewarded um, for certainty about things that they actually have no certainty, mm-hmm. right to certainty about, right? And and they get rewarded with fame and fortune somehow. And, you know, just from my love of, of ancient um Philosophy and spiritual traditions above the Oracle of Delphi. In addition to know thyself, it says certainty is ruin. By which they they probably mean that hubristic kind of certainty. But you have you you have really repositioned and reframed certainty as a um, not just a positive thing, but a thing really worth um, trying to to create and leverage. And I'd I'd love to just have you unpack a little bit more about like what certainty means to you and how you help people cultivate
1: that so so i believe that there's this essential question that everyone asks is asking which is am i going to be okay and i experienced this through the lens of the last 20 years of really helping people in the finance space navigating their cash flow etc am i going to be okay future focused Uh, right now Talk to a lot of folks, and on paper they might have hundreds of millions, but they're they're not liquid. So, yeah, they've got this cool number on paper, but still, like, how am I going to pay this upcoming expense? And uh, that's hard to relate to. You're know, like, oh, that must be nice, uh, poor them. But the point is that there is a similarity across uh, demographics, age gender, bracket, uh, income brackets, et cetera, which is this wondering, am I going to be okay? And when you kind of unpack that, you find that there's an element of they're uncertain. I don't know what, what's going to happen. And there's a lack of power that they feel like this is happening to me. Or And so I've sort of endeavored to try to build some tools to help people navigate. Well, what is what is certainty to you? What is it that you're trying to, to achieve? And we I believe have our own unique definitions of wealth or what I call the solvable problem. This is your unique equation, your sort of final destination. If you think about it in terms of, a um, GPS, like you're here now, you're at this spot right now and you have this final destination. That is your like ultimate definition of, of wealth. How do we get you there? Uh and so in, in kind of unpacking that, I decided, okay, I, I'm going to own this very nebulous term and something that if I was a registered investment advisor, I wouldn't be allowed to say. Mm. Uh, and so like, okay, I, I'm going to create my own definition of this, and, uh, which is, again, helping people get what they want on their terms without compromise. And in that, I'm going to help people understand that, the, that it's actually an infinite game. See, I think the point you were making around the hubris is that you think you've made it. And once you think you've made it, that's when you're in the highest probability of blowing yourself up. No, we've never really made it. There's something coming around the corner that could be a, could be a danger zone type thing. uh, Or there could just be something around the corner that you didn't know you wanted two days ago. Right. so we're constantly evolving and just adjusting. And so, what you want is an infinite game and it's evolving and so we got to give our permission ourselves permission to recognize that but then we also have to take action right Uh, i as someone who's been a, a recovering uh you know perfectionist of sorts that unlocked a lot of of thinking for me to go hey i'm trying to get this what i want out of life to be perfect, but it's never going to get perfect, be perfect because it's going to keep evolving. And so what I need to do is just optimize towards what I think is the most important thing today. And then reassess, reserve the right to change my mind in the future.
0: Yeah, those are well, and you've you've shared several of the principles from your book um, and, and from what I've witnessed watching the the Certainty Summit and things like that 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 really resonate. And again, things that I've been able to share with clients and community members and, and kind of repurposed through my own filter um, that I'd, I'd love to um, dive into a little bit. So one of the things that I'm hearing in what you said that I recall from the book is this idea of certainty is getting clarity on what you really want and then um, establishing a strategy that creates the most opportun- optionality while mitigating the risks that are inherent in anything that um that's right is unknown um i i and the the, the solvable problem is something that laurel portier who was a guest a couple of weeks ago introduced to me when i was her you know when she was my coach um and that idea just profoundly resonates because um it it, it takes for me it was a way of framing um a, a challenge that I was trying to navigate in a way that disconnected it from the narrative in my head that, you know, where the imposter shows up, where fear shows up, where FOMO shows up and everything else. And instead creates this objective problem that I can solve if I lean into my gifts, my strengths um, and do the things that that you advocate around reducing risk so um, this is now your your intellectual property which is um, really fascinating to me as well so' share a little bit more like what's how do you frame the uh, or how do you teach people to frame a solvable problem and how do you help them navigate their way towards solving it
1: so solvable problem is probably the thing that I've created that gets talked about the most, but when we go through the certification program, it's one of the last things that we talk about. I mean, we we reference it a bunch, but it's one of the last things that we talk about. And the reason for that is that I have found that it takes people months and months to give themselves permission to be honest about what they really want. And so we have to help them see behind all these corners of, look, uh, your notion of what it's going to be, what's what's required to be extraordinary is wrong. What's required to be extraordinary is to, your words as well, play your game. Like, show me someone who's actually reinvented and uh, reimagined an industry uh, that was just copying somebody else in entirety. Uh, They weren't, they were there's something unique that they were doing. And uh, there's usually some unique element of their personality. We call them eccentric when they have a bunch of money. And so we have to keep showing them um, what it takes to be extraordinary and the different archetypes. Hey, there's more than one uh, archetype for success. Um, We take them through um, these four types of architects or, or archetypes, excuse me. One of them is called an influencer. But in the modern society, we think, oh, I got to be an influencer to be extraordinary. When in fact, usually people transition to influencer later, like they were a maker or a master or an introspector before they were an influencer. So we just got these sort of false notions. So anyhow, I have to unpack all this, really teach people about biases, how we're running a race against ourself, Um really what it means to engineer luck. When I talk about rigging the game, the name of the book, it's really engineering the outcome that we want. And so there's a lot of kind of journaling, opening loops to finally get people to, here's your solvable problem. Your solvable problem is, uh, in my terms, is broken into two buckets, your core priorities and your preference-based priorities. Core. This is what I believe everyone wants. It's the conventional definition of wealth. you got enough where you don't have to work. You can pay off all your debts and you got some amount of cash reserve. That's sort of the conventional definition of wealth. I would call that financial security. You can have financial security, but not be fulfilled. You don't have financial certainty yet because there's all these preferences that you that are unique to you or your relationship that the world is trying to tell you that these preferences are actually binary. There's a right and wrong. You know, you should only want, uh, everyone should pay for their kid's college. No one should pay for their kid's college. Everyone should, you know, these back and forths of, uh, you know, you should, you should, uh, uh, get a vacation property. don't have a vacation property on and on and on. And, uh, it's a, it depends what do you want, right. which is, again, why we got to spend like weeks talking to people about preferences and showing them the math and uh, to then give them permission to go, OK, these are my preferences. So we take the core priorities, which is sort of the financial security. We add in the preference based priorities that combine is your solvable problem as long as you've taken what you want and you put a dollar value to each of those things and a date, when do you want to achieve it by? Now we we call it a solvable problem because now it is actually something we can solve. When it's just a vision board with a bunch of stuff on it, it doesn't tell us what the resources are necessary to make that possible. And so we get a bunch of dopamine and we feel awesome and we do a bunch of stuff and we get up earlier and we start taking ice baths and whatever for a couple of weeks. And, uh, and trying to get this vision board and then we lose momentum because we really didn't get the clarity we needed to live the life that we actually want.
0: Yeah. Well, and that clarity piece is so important and it's, um, I, I, I really appreciate what you're saying about the vision board and, and, you know, that whole approach, because it's just like uh, New Year's resolutions, the, the, the announcement on Facebook actually feels like achievement already. That's right. And, and you get the yeah. dopamine hits of everyone saying, yay you, go you. Um, but, you know, it, it's, it's not.
1: It's, it's actually over, nothing. Over on Certainty Tools, I have a couple of, uh, we call, call them uh, unexploitable episodes. It's my business partner, Nick Peterson, who you mentioned uh, earlier, we're office mates. We've recorded a couple of these things on uh, being exploitable and then how do you become unexploitable? And so many of us are in, we're just in pain. We have so much scrutiny for, and expectations from the outside world. And then internally, we have all this shame and guilt and otherwise, because we're not living the life that we want. And so in these moments of, of weakness, we buy into the, the one step, the one hack, right? What I sell and what you sell is harder because it's not hyperbolic. It's not like, hey, you know what? Download and watch this five minute video and then your whole life is gonna be better. And then, oh yeah, implement this one strategy. People want that because they're in so much pain and they keep jumping to the next one step or two steps. And sometimes they work, um, but often they don't. And so you're in this position of being very exploitable. Someone can sell you something because you're in this position of, of pain. And that's where you need coming back to solvable problem. How much effort do I really need to put in? How much rest, risk should I really take? Because when you, again, you study those who have had um, extreme success, they were the rice. They had the optionality. They were willing, they were able to participate. If I was so overstrapped back when I was 19 and my schedule was so filled that I, like, I'm too busy, I couldn't go to that UPS thing, the whole trajectory of my life would be different. Yeah. And so we miss that over the course of a year, there's maybe two or three major inflection opportunities, but we're so busy putting in maximum effort and taking maximum risk that we can't even participate in those things that are going to truly be transformative or what I would call asymmetric to the upside.
0: Yeah. Well, that's a, that's, that is a really great point. And I guess the, uh, a reflect a reflection that's more of a question really is, well, one, one is um, if you have any insight into how you like, how you can be present and available and aware of those inflection points. But the other is, you know, it seems as though one of the things I think a lot about is, you know, trying to be, get clearer about separate, uh, distinguishing between decisions and outcomes. Like I can make a really bad decision to get a good outcome. And that leads to that heuristic certainty where I must be great because I got what I wanted. Um, even though you did something that, if you su- sustain that approach, would blow you up. Um, but at the other end is you can make the best decision possible and get and not and get a bad outcome, and that leads to us thinking that we must be stupid and and we are less than, you know, the yes. idiot that
1: made the bad decision and got the good outcome. Um, so, we spent a bunch of time on this in the last uh, discussion about being exploitable. Which is not understanding the difference between causation and correlation. We go, uh, I made this decision. Now I have more money. That decision caused me to have more money. <laughs> but we didn't actually look at the evidence. I was in the right place at the right time. Um, the market happened to go up. Actually, my decision was irrelevant because I was on a podcast with Scott that finally aired and. Uh, now I have a bunch of people who are following me. And so the, the recent decision that I made has nothing to do with, or the recent success I have has nothing to do with the decision itself. It has to do with the fact that I was on Scott's podcast. Right? So we, we have this hubris, which is that we want to attribute sort of fundamental attribution error. Right. we assume our intentions are good, but we are quick to question others. We assume that we want you know our reasoning, we're logical, Uh, we attribute that to the outcomes and that it's causing it, but it could merely be correlated. Meaning, yeah, it's, there's a positive relationship. The decision happened and now we have more money, but we have to dig, we have to dig deeper, truthfully, compile the data and analyze it. I call it the case framework. We're quick to strategize and execute, but we got to compile and analyze and try to get to the, as best as we can root root cause. Otherwise we blow ourselves up the next time because we thought we made the right decision. We tried a second time, doesn't work. Because it didn't work the first time. Well, you launch let me give you a very classic example though. and by the way, I spent I used to work with this guy Steve Louden, who's took Roku public and he's been their CFO for I don't know however long they were public plus a year, too we were he was my boss we were in this group called marketing finance and we evaluate we ultimately reported up to the cmo of this big bank and we were analyzing uh these marketing proposed marketing campaigns to see if there was going to be a sufficient return on investment for it to be um worthwhile so we're doing all this analysis and the uh the marketers would come over and they would say, hey, uh, we've noticed that uh, people who, and this this will date me, uh, because it obviously doesn't make sense now. Uh, they come over and they say, hey, we wanna run a campaign to get more people on online banking and bill pay, because we looked at the data and the people who have online banking and bill pay carry a higher average balance and they use more of our services. Now, now that seems silly, that was 17 years ago. Now that seems silly because everybody has online banking and can use bill pay, right? And I haven't noticed people having a lot more money in their account because they signed up for online banking and bill pay, right? It just so happened that people who signed up for online banking, so that was correlated. People who signed up for online banking was correlated at the time with them having more money. But in fact, it's just early adopters, people who had more money, were more inclined to sign up for online banking, okay? So it's just causation correlation. Now, to kind of take that one step further, uh, when we don't have any sort of baseline, we can't actually evaluate the trends. So I was able, we were able to do these campaigns because we had baselines to evaluate whether or not the decisions actually created an incremental lift, more sales or not. So say you and I start a new uh, product called uh, certain on en- on tools. And, um, and, uh, so we're going to start it. Of course, it's going to be high ticket, right? Uh, cause you know, you got to do high ticket and, uh, or you're an idiot, or maybe you got to do low ticket or you're an idiot. <laughs> Forget which one it is. I, mean, I think you are just an think like it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's both things. Yeah. So we got Encore tools. We're starting it day one. We, announce it we start ads we run an email campaign we go on a bunch of podcasts and i don't know one other strategy uh we dance naked in the <laughs> uh, outside and we have this uh amazingly successful launch and so you go well obviously going forward we got to dance naked outside we've got a um, start ads, we've got to do the email campaign, we got to do, you know, et cetera, et cetera, because that's what works. So we do it again the next time with our next business and it doesn't work. Because we don't even know what strategy works. People think they're data-driven, but they can't isolate any of the variables. They don't have a baseline. And so it's really that simple. You launch, do the opposite. Uh, this is what we teach, take a micro step launch something with one piece of information, see how the market reacts, get that data, inform the next strategy, continue down that path. Eventually uh, you've the data to isolate what strategies are actually working. That doesn't sound as sexy, that's harder to sell. That's actually what these uh, big corporations, unicorns do. They isolate variables and track and determine what's actually working, what's not, and they stop doing the things that don't work.
0: You mentioned the case um, formula, which I really strongly encourage people to, 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 you can Google it and look it up and learn more about it. Get Dan's book, it's 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 laid out there. Um, but the, what I love about that approach is, yes, I am a lover of strategy and execution, um, but that um, collect and assess element enables people like me to um i call it stillness in the storm like we can be it we can we can we can re- reflect pause and reflect long enough uh ne- what's in a way that's necessary so that we can take the next best step or I a know. next best step and I, I love that you you have so we, you've touched on some things, and we're we're running uh, a little over time, and I want to get one final um, uh, tip or or or, or uh, exercise from you. But you know, playing your game. Um, Solvable problem, open loops, you mentioned, it depends, is, is a whole nother thing that could be discussed. Um, yeah. But, you know, I, I'm going to encourage people to, to buy Rigging the Game or look Dan up and um, get direct access to some of these things. But if there was, you know, this is a, a program um, featuring inspiring difference makers like yourself, who I hope will inform. A, a, advancing and aspiring difference makers that are tuning in to, um, you know, fly a little bit higher and the difference only they can make. If there was just one final practice exercise idea that you could share um, that would help them fly a little bit higher, what would that be?
1: Well, every, I strongly believe in this quote that every system is perfectly designed for the results that it, or the current outcomes that it's generating. And that's a quote from W. Edwards Deming. I didn't come up with that. This is called create creative on purpose. Right? I believe that everybody is creative. We just maybe grew up in a system that told us that we weren't. And uh, that math is not creative. Accounting is not creative. Uh, you know... All these uh, engineering is not creative. You're not a creative person because you're an engineer. You know, you're only a creative person if you're an artist or a. But, look, I used to work uh, my first actual full-time job after college. Don't judge me for this. It was a fellowship at the board that Rice all the accounting standards in the U.S. Like I said, my career went on a totally different entrepreneurship journey than I originally expected. But I look back on it and I go, that was the most creative place that I worked at outside of being a full-time entrepreneur. The board that writes all the accounting standards is the most creative place I've worked at. And why? Because we were creating something from nothing. You may not like what we created. Actually, I know a lot of people who do not like what I worked on. But we had to create it from nothing. A blank. We started with a blank page and a framework and some ideas. And Iterated through until we got the final outcome that based off, you know, a bunch of feedback, etc. So I hope that people stop thinking about themselves as being creative or uncreative and that they start being more intentional on purpose, uh, designing systems where they can be, they can be creative in their life.
0: Love it. Love it. Really appreciate that, Dan. Um, well, so everyone, We thank you for tuning in. Dan and I really appreciate you lending us some of your valuable time and attention. We hope today's broadcast motivates you to take a bolder step into possibility. To keep go-go going with defining, developing, and delivering the difference only you can make, visit creativeonpurpose.com. Be sure to go to riggingthegame.com and certaintytools.com to learn more about Dan. And if you're watching on social media, please leave your biggest aha lesson or takeaway or question in the comments. And if you're watching or tuning in as a podcast, please leave us a five star review. It helps more of the right people connect with this content so they can fly higher and the difference only they can make. Now, take the insight and inspiration from today's show and play your game all in and full out. Dan Nicholson, thank you so much for sharing some of your wisdom and experience with us today. My pleasure. Thanks.